I know what kind of leadership training I wish I'd had uh, in my early 20s, uh, late 20s, even early 30s. And so to kind of go back down that path and say, hey, guys, you know, I've skinned my knee plenty of times trying to find my way forward. And now, you know, let me do my part to help you not shy away from your challenges or even provide all the solutions, but to give you the resources uh, so that you can be more confident in the solutions that you come up with for yourself as you deal with life's inevitable challenges. Knowledge is power. kind of recenter ourselves you know what would what would make this the best podcast ever for you mm, i like that question that's a good that's a good intro question um i i think just um reachable for the for the average person i i like to kind of not to overly we don't have to really stay into the weeds and overly dumb things down but mm. i like to try to treat it as um remembering that the listener could be some someone young or someone who has really never experienced um you know leadership or conflict resolution before or they maybe they're maybe they're new to this whole way of thinking so just yeah. basically like keeping our beginner in mind let's say that yeah that's perfect um just to dovetail on that right are, are you familiar with the hemingway app at all or no i don't think so so the Hemingway app uh, I learned about recently from another coach. And so what happens is, is that it rates like the difficulty of your writing. And if it's overly technical, like it'll tell you like, this is grade six, seven, eight, nine. And it actually like forces you to kind of like simplify it down so that a sixth grader can understand it. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. You're like, I can't oh, believe wow. I went through all this training just to like dumb <laughs> down my language, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, to lessen the the complexity of the words that I'm using. Yes, yep. so, sometimes I'll even notice that I will. Um, I don't know. I don't know if maybe it's because we'll we'll be listening to someone who's mm -hmm. using a lot of big words, or we're use, listening mm -hmm. to someone explaining it in a certain way. So yeah. we'll use it. I'll listen to myself back on podcasts, and mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I could have delivered that exact same sentence in ten words less, but I added all these complicated words. Um, but yeah, no, I, like of course we can feel free to to expand and, and go yeah. as intricate as we'd like, but mm -hmm. I just always like to remember that the little guy, you know, just in case. It's curse of knowledge, man. Absolutely. You're just like, oh, because I mean we do that in pharmacy school. We're like we learn all this technical knowledge and then we actually have a book on like pharmacy terms for the lay person. Like you actually have to like <laughs> go through that process. You're like, oh I'm up here and they're like, we don't know what that is. And you're like, okay, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah the yep. person's at the counter like can you explain that one more time but just yeah. with a lot less worse <laughs> yeah let me tell you the path of physiology on this just like what what does that even mean you're yeah. like sorry about that it makes you feel better <laughs> right 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 cool cool all right jerry um so let's uh just double check in we are recording i'm recording my audio excellent excellent so ladies and gentlemen welcome to the junkyard love podcast i'm happy you're here today i'm here with jerry Hello, Jerry. I'm, I'm happy that you're here. Um, let's go ahead and just start right out the bat with a little bit of your bio, um, who you are, what it is that you do, and, uh, and, and what, what we're going to kind of chat about today. Absolutely. So the 10 word or less answer uh, I had to give for another pre-interview podcast was um, I help Asian American leaders handle conflict resolution better uh, through coaching. That works. Yeah. 
that works. What, why, why, um, why the emphasis on Asian American leadership? Yeah. So what we like to say in coaching is that our ideal client is usually who we were 10 years ago. And in my leadership journey, which I'm sure we'll be able to unpack over the next hour or so, um, you'll see just exactly how I got into this space. But the biggest uh, and or the biggest point I'm trying to make here is just that I know what kind of leadership training I wish I'd had uh, in my early 20s, uh, late 20s, even early 30s. And so to kind of go back down that path and say, hey, guys, you know, I've skinned my knee plenty of times trying to find my way forward. And now, you know, let me do my part to help you not shy away from your challenges or even provide all the solutions, but to give you the resources uh, so that you can be more confident in the solutions that you come up with for yourself as you deal with life's inevitable challenges. Right, right. Yeah, my um, my ex used to always remind me, and I, and I always really liked holding on to it when it came to the podcast and these leadership things, um, mm-hmm. or, or giving advice. What would my what would my sixteen year old self need to hear? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm always kind of trying to remember that, and the way I'm wording things or I'm rambling on, I always try to remember. Okay, that's kind of who I, who I want my audience to be. If I, for whatever reason, was sixteen and stumbling through YouTube, and I found you know me, what what would be mm-hmm. the things that I would need to hear? So mm. yeah. I, th- I think that reigns true, you know, when we're when we're speaking to our own individual experience and it, it could help um, us relate with people a lot more. So um, what is so, so, so how did you get into this world? Let, let, let's go right there. What, what, what was uh, what was the series of events that kind of led you to where you're at now? Certainly. Yeah. Let's uh, let me let me start from the beginning. Let's. You know, it'll it might not make sense at first, but as the as the uh, the play unfolds, you'll you'll be able to see where everything comes in. So, um, yeah, (laughs) brace yourself. They got the whole 90 minutes. Let's paint the whole canvas. Um, Yeah. So basically, uh, I grew up uh, the son of immigrants. Uh, I still technically am the son of immigrants. But, uh, you know, we grew up with the Asian mentality of success where it's like, Hey, find this profitable, reputable job. And that way you get money and respect and you need to bring that not only for yourself, but for your family, because, you know, this is as immigrants, this is what we have to fight for. And so with that mentality, right. I, by default felt like an outsider and, you know, in feeling like an outsider and trying to get along with people and just trying to do my best to fit in, right? You start to kind of get in some bad habits, like people pleasing, like just trying not to upset anybody. Or when someone's upset with you, you know, you placate them as best you can, even if it comes at great cost to your own self-respect. And you just feel resentful later and you just say, well, hopefully I'll get over this. So all that to kind of set the stage properly to say, hey, um, my parents kind of said, well, you know, go into healthcare pretty much. <laughs> it was like, yeah, like you want to be a doctor, right? Your cousins are doctors and you know, you want the good life that comes with uh, doctor reputation and income. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I didn't like anything else. So I just said, well, yeah, let me try this pre-med path for right now. And when I got to college, I learned quickly just how uh, little I actually uh, was interested in pursuing this partly because I got to see in organic chemistry, you know, and it was just kind of like, uh Oh, right. If you have, if you don't have a clear idea on why you want to become a doctor, right. If you don't have a clear idea to say, Hey, I want to help, you know, uh, malnourished kids in like third world countries, right. Like you're not going to power through all the hoops that you have to jump through in becoming a doctor. 
and I had friends that did. And so, you know, happy that they got the career that they're looking for to fulfill their, what they consider their, their own purpose. But for me, uh, I, it was a definitely a sobering moment and I had to ask myself, well, what do I really want to do, um, at that stage in my life? Because I still wanted to do healthcare, but, uh, I didn't like the idea of failure. I didn't like the idea of, you know, getting waitlisted or even rejected from med school. And so I just really was like, ah, I don't want to persevere that much. I, I like the idea of being a doctor more than actually uh, becoming a doctor and doing the work with that. So I said, well, you know, uh, pharmacy seems like a good profession. Uh, it seems very clean. Uh, and with the right job, you can get pretty good hours and quality of life. And so I said, you know what? Um, my grandpa, being a doctor, I had some interest in healthcare. So maybe this is just another way in. So let me pursue pharmacy school. And in pharmacy school, managed to you know get the grades I needed to, got licensed. And um, all that to say, in the pharmacy work settings that I was used to, which is mainly chain pharmacies, uh, leadership was not something that was um, desirable because it just seemed like it was a lot of headaches for not a lot of extra money. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. like you had all the scrutiny, all the liability. You had to deal with bosses that were yelling at you about numbers being low or, you know, things not going according to plan. And you and you just said, well, you know what? I, I'm, my life isn't worth these headaches, so I'm just going to avoid them. And it's nice to learn how to fly under the radar a little bit, but at the same time, you're not growing, right? I got comfortable um, working for this chain pharmacy after I got out of school and just being, you know, kind of a bigger fish in the smaller pond. And, and my boss, my boss was happy with me because she knew I worked hard, um, but I wouldn't want, I would never be interested in taking on a leadership position in a chain pharmacy just because there's just yeah, too many headaches. And so at a point where I was, at five years with this company, but I'd had enough. I just said, you know, um, I don't care what kind of benefits you're throwing at me. It doesn't matter that I just earned a third week of vacation. Uh, if the other 49 suck, right? Like I'm not mm -hmm. gonna stick around. And so the interesting thing was I'd gotten comfortable and, you know, I was able to avoid conflict. And even though I've, I've struggled with conflict at that point in my life, you know, I was just like, well, I'm bad at it. I'm just going to not deal with this. Same thing with leadership. I said, oh, you know, I tried a couple of times. I'm not good at this. I guess I'll never be good at this. I just had a very uh, limited view of my capabilities as a person uh, with certain things that I struggled with initially. And so when I decided to leave this job to pursue something in teaching, because I hadn't been more intentional with my career choices and development, I didn't really have any options because I didn't have any post-grad training in order to become a, a professor at a university or things like that. Uh, but my one lifeline was a friend who worked for a consulting company, a pharmacy consulting company uh, here in Houston. And she said, hey, I know you want to teach. You don't have um, the residency or the postdoc in order to teach at a conventional university, but my previous teaching position is open since I got promoted would you be interested in applying for this? And I said, absolutely. So I'm moving from Tennessee to Houston for this job. I walked away from full-time, you know, pay and benefits to take on this part-time position and I would have to earn my way up. And initially being as short-sighted as I was, I said, wow, this is hopefully the last company I ever have to work for. I'm going to Houston. I got some friends here. You know, I, I was just so excited for the change. And then 11 months later, I got fired. Mm. And, you know, that was, uh, at the time, it was the toughest wake-up call I'd ever got because I didn't want to admit that I had, there was some sense of, you know, feeling entitled and making excuses 
that were kind of bubbling to the surface because I was able to do better than like 60% of my you know workforce at the chain pharmacy. But now when my own flaws are magnified, all of a sudden this company was actually kind enough to tell me after 11 months, no, what you're doing is not working and you're done here. And so um, at the time it hurt a lot because what was I going to do, right? Rent don't stop just because you had a bad day. Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so uh, looking for work in a city I didn't have a lot of career networking in was uh, very difficult. And that's when the roller coaster started to get really weird. In that, uh, the next job I ended up at, uh, I was working for a basically a house of cards pharmacy where filling for crooked doctors and my paychecks were bouncing. So that was also not great. Yikes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just one-two punch, right? You're just like, not only am I jeopardizing my license, I'm not even paying my bills because this guy is just like pocketing all the money. And uh, at that stage, I had a very misguided view of grace and to say, well, you know, he's not honoring his part, but I need to honor my part. And everyone else is around me. is just like, Jerry, <laughs> like this is bad for your license and you're not getting paid, leave. Like if he's not paying, leave. Right. And so after nine months of, of that, um, thankfully my friends got me out of that job and got me onto a, a company that was more reliable, but they was still struggling. And you know, after a month or two getting going through training and stuff like that, they said, hey, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. And I said, uh-oh, um, do I choose between rent and groceries this month? What do I do, right? Yeah. It's not very sustainable. <laughs> exactly. And so they said, well, you can get more hours uh, covering for us out at our Austin location, um, you know, if you're if you're willing. And so I said, okay, I I'm going to Austin. I beggars can't be choosers. So you know, and my friends just said, are telling me, you know, you could end up in worse locations, right? And I said, Austin's yeah, that's great. fair. <laughs> yeah, and but I had no idea what my life was going to look like at this point. All I know is I needed to pay my bills. So I'm out there, you know, working. It was a great job. Don't get me wrong. Like the, the team that I, I walked into was wonderful. Uh, but you know, I had no, there was no stability, right? I wasn't even officially in payroll. Uh, I had no benefits. I had nothing of the stability that I knew I needed that I didn't appreciate until after I left all that. And so this is 2012 now. And that summer I got an email from some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit associated with my pharmacy fraternity. And they said, Hey, um, we know that you've been facilitating uh, workshops on the fraternity side, but we need someone to help out on the leadership side for our national meeting this year. Um, and a spot opened up because someone had to back out. Would you be willing to step in? And I said, absolutely. And so with that, um, you know, teaching leadership, and then seeing it modeled for me with a partner who really brought out the best in me, you know, kind of opened my mind a little bit. And I gave her, I gave permission, uh, myself permission to give that possibility because before, you know, it was like, oh, leadership is hard. I could never be good at it. I'll never be good at it. And it's like, well, you know, if that's what you say about yourself, <laughs> how's that working mm -hmm. out for you? If you say you can't be a good leader, who am I to question that? Right. But if I said now, well, what if I could be a good leader? What would that look like? What kind of work would that involve? And so now I came back to work with, you know, this renewed vigor and this excitement. And so the company I was working for at the time said, okay, about a month later, they said, well, you have the option of staying part-time in Austin, or you can go to Houston for a full-time manager position uh, since that opened up. And right now, ironically enough, the first three months I was living in Austin, Jacob, like I was like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm, this isn't home. And Right as I thought I was actually going to lay down roots in Austin, that's, you know, I got to know some great guys and, you know, getting to know the city a little better, things like that. Um, you know, 
I, I knew that I couldn't stay comfortable and mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to come back home to Houston and need to take on this leadership challenge. I didn't want to avoid this anymore. And so next thing I know, I'm packing up all my things and coming back to Houston and things didn't get easier, Jacob. <laughs> you know, I, right. I struggle. I still struggle with conflict. I still struggle to, uh, you know, confront underperforming technicians. I still, um, you know, didn't know how to, uh, see firing as a loving thing, just recognizing, Hey, you know, if what you're doing here isn't working here, we're not necessarily accusing you of like being this terrible person. You just need to find a company that's willing to put, you know, maybe tailor themselves around your preferences and your styles like that's, and that's like the high end, that's very much benefit of the doubt kind of situation. But you have to, at the end of the day, like the relationship is going to work out, but I actually got written up because I wasn't writing my technicians up now. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like, when will this get easier? When will this get better? And so the company actually had their funding pulled a month, uh, a year later, uh, just because the business model was uh, not sustainable, basically. Um, just a, a quick aside for people, and they're like, why did this happen? So uh, the company was involved in pain management medications in a legitimate way. Like they had a, a Department of Public Safety officer, you know, a, re- a former one, helping us keep in line to stay out of trouble. But the problem is, if the DEA still doesn't like you, uh, and they, you know, get in the way and interfere with your ability to keep medications in stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't sell what you don't have. And, you know, if you can't make money, the owners will move on. So interestingly enough, the only reason I even get an interview at my next job was that I had leadership experience on my resume now because of my time, you know, being a manager for this company. And I said, wow, you know, that was a good decision. I'm glad that I can, you know, get the attention of more companies now that I have leadership experience. So uh, the first thing I usually tell people is that leadership saved my career. Uh, it is my one of my biggest struggles and biggest fascinations now, and which is why I got into that space. But to finish up that story, right? What I tell people is that pharmacy, the pharmacy jobs that I have are like icebergs, and that it's like they melt after like one or two years. You know, it's just like that's it; they're just gone. And so, on one hand, I have more icebergs to pick from, but they're still icebergs. And so the next couple of years are more of the same. Like I'd find a company, you know, barely in time to keep gainful employment. And then after a year or two, they would go away. And so about four years ago, when my previous company went under, um, I just had to ask myself, well, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts from doctors. I'm tired of fighting insurance companies that determine how much I make on these medications, even though I'm putting in the same amount of work. But I love teaching leadership workshops. I love developing people. What if I tried to make a career out of developing people? So I started talking to coaches and other people in this space to see, you know, exactly how, how do you do this? And I knew I'd gotten pretty good at facilitating uh, and running workshops and things like that, but I still had no idea how to open a business, run a business, build a business. And so I stayed away from actually throwing my hat in the ring for quite some time. And it wasn't until COVID hit where I said, well, I can't afford to put this off any longer. Like Mm. I, I, I still have this day job as a pharmacist, which I'm grateful for. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I know my long-term trajectory is to get this side business off the ground and really have more of an impact for people that I know uh, need this kind of help. Yeah, yeah, right. Wow, man, what what a, what a journey! I feel like so much uh, forced forced learning uh, experiences. You know, I mean, yeah. so so would you say that you? Would you say that you're someone who wouldn't consider yourself a born leader, but more of like a learned leader or, or 
do you have any distinction between the two? Oh, that's a that's a great question, and it is an ongoing debate. Um, yeah. I actually heard uh, I was reminded of a phrase recently that Maxwell uses in one of his books, and he talks about what is he addresses the question: what How do you how do you resolve whether or not leaders are born or made? And uh, his simple answer is. Of course, leaders are born. How else are they made? Right? Uh, <laughs> it's just like, well, but okay. in all seriousness, um, I think part of it just comes back down to what do you believe about leadership, right? Um, if you believe that leadership is innate to some people and exclusive to them and, you know, cut off from others, like what chance do you have, right? Mm. But mm. if you're willing to believe the idea that um, leadership is a skill that I can learn if I and improve at if I put enough work in, like, would I even allow for that possibility? And, you know, if leaders are born and not made, you know, why, why do we even bother? Right. right. But, um, you know, it's, I think about Maxwell's, uh, elaboration on that topic and he goes, you know, Hey, look, there's three types of people when it comes to leadership. The first are, Hey, people have innate talent and, you know, they act on it. Great. Uh, most people fall in the middle group, number two group, which is, hey, they may not have all the instincts or innate talent that the first group has, but they still have enough to work with that they can improve upon, right? And then he says, then the third just don't care. And he says, take heart that you're not one of them because they wouldn't have picked up this book. So, mm. you know, nice, nice uh, sales pitch there. It's just like, hey, don't worry, yeah. feel good about yourself that you even cared to buy my book. So good job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with all that said, yeah, I mean, it took time. Uh, for sure. And it's still a process. I'm far from done in terms of my abilities as a leader. I see it every day at my day job, just when I thought I had everything in place so that my you know, team would really do the work and be more autonomous on their part. And they keep falling back into bad habits. And, you know, um, it's like, we, we talked about this, like, I thought I was better at this, you know, <laughs> but right. for some reason, I have to do a lot more maintenance on my team than I ever expected. But I say this not to sound entitled, uh, is just an opportunity to learn and say, okay, well, I guess I'm just not done. Uh, I, I need to keep finding ways to motivate them well. So here we go. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's what it takes for, as, as a leader. You got to kind of like take on the the workload on your shoulders. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're, we're underperforming in this area. We're not doing well in this area or we're, this could be improved. How can I make that better? How, mm-hmm. how, like what, what am I doing that could be changed? How could I do what I'm doing differently to help my team? You know, I mm-hmm. think that's what it takes to be a leader. I also think that being a leader isn't really a, I mean, it's such a broad word in, in many ways, but it, it really isn't something that you arrive at. It's a constant, it's a, it's a way of making decisions of, of constantly like every day. So, so how would a leader, uh, uh, make this decision? You know, when something comes up, maybe you have, uh, um, an automatic reaction, uh, here, here's how I want to react. Here's what would be comfortable. Here's what's going to keep me in in this spot. Or you can think like a leader. Okay, what what does the team need? How are we gonna grow? How does yeah. this lead us to our next step? You know, mm-hmm. uh, how how can we how can I lean down and offer a hand to the rest of my team to to bring them up? So for mm-hmm. me, um, leadership has always been very fascinating to me. So I always liked it. I was a um, in 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 tenth grade, mm-hmm. I was a, a sophomore class president in high, in high school. Good job. Um, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but it was. I, I remember. I actually had this moment where the uh, like the vice principal stopped me and uh, we were going into one of the school dances mm-hmm. um, and as we were walking in I was watching w- walking in with a couple of the other guys and to be honest I feel like we were probably 
we were probably like out in the car drinking or smoking or something like we were <laughs> something uh, fun. Yeah. 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 So in, in, you know, it's funny. I think that the, uh, the vice principal that, that, that I'm referencing, um, he basically walked in and he kind of pulled me to the side and I feel like he probably knew, like he probably smelled my breath. He, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he probably understood it, but he kind of mm-hmm. gave me this couple minute long, it caught me off guard, but it always stuck with me. And mm-hmm. he pretty much like was looking him in the eye and just, Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but you're a leader people look mm. up to you Pe- people listen to what you what you have to say <clears throat> and it was so heavy like i i i, I mean I, I probably at the moment i was probably like okay man sure for sure <laughs> but then you know it, it did stick with me in a way that as i got older um and as i i do find myself in leadership roles or or supervising or managing um, any of these roles i am i keep it in the back of my mind this you know okay if, if people are listening to me you know, if people are going to take time out of their day to, to stop what they're doing or, or if I'm rambling on about something and I look around and everybody's staring at me and they're actually intently listening to what I'm saying, maybe mm. I should provide them with good content. You know, maybe, mm. maybe I should maybe I should find ways to be helpful. Maybe I could improve mm. my w- what I know. So the things that I'm speaking or the the situations that I am actually leading um, can can, you know, be be helpful and beneficial to, to the people involved. So it has been this interesting um that one moment really, really stood out for me. Um, and, and so, so I try to, I don't know if leaders are born. I, I don't know if that really, it just doesn't really seem to answer the question. You know, it yeah. just seems, I think we all kind of have some form of leadership within us. And mm-hmm. I think if you can put yourself into the right environment, put yourself into the right niche, um, mm-hmm. train yourself in the right ways, mm-hmm. um, put yourself around, around the correct people who, who need to hear your message or hear, hear your way of leadership and in, in your, your way of, um, um, teaching them and le- leading the charge, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we all, I think we all kind of have a leader within us. What do, what do you think about that, Jerry? Do you think everybody kind of has a, a point in them that's leader? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, because honestly, if leaders are born and not made, why, I mean, why do we sell so many leader development programs? Like if you basically, it's just like, this is just an exercise in futility, you know? Yeah. yeah. Thanks for your money. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Good luck. Um, I honestly, there's this funny paradox of, you know, you hear so many people say, you know, my mentors saw something in me. I, I couldn't see in myself. Mm. Right. And so it's like, well, how, you know, how do you want to respond to that? You know, do you just say, nah, I, I, you know, he's, he's, he's a pretty smart guy, but I, I think I know myself better. And even in coaching, when we say, Hey, look, you're the expert on your life. Right. Uh, at the same time, uh, I believe a good mentor, a good influence is always going to see your potential more than actually just what's already there. Right. They're, they see what could be and not just what is, uh, they acknowledge both, but, uh, I mean, I've, it would take a lot and don't get me wrong. There are people I've mistakenly written off you know, over the years, but then, you know, you find out later, oh my gosh, like I had no idea like what they accomplished and, you know, what they're doing with their lives now. Right. right. Um, on one hand, everyone loves an underdog story. On the other hand, you know, everyone, I do believe I do like, I, I believe that everyone has that potential if they're willing to act on it. It's just, that's really the biggest tiebreaker. It's not a question of whether or not you have it. It's just a question of whether or not you want to build on it and act on it in a way that's actually going to have an impact the way that actually you know kind of elevate the playing field right yeah lift everybody up get everybody else on board and improved and everyone's you know working hard and motivated and appreciative and respectful i would love to see that right right well okay so so how do we lean into it if, if we're someone who's listening and they're like 
maybe they have some sort of leadership qualities. Maybe they've been a leader in the past. Uh, maybe they're at a point where they're looking around and they've they've kind of taken you know maybe a, maybe a more beta role. Maybe they they want to step up. Maybe they want to start feeding that that good wolf. I like to say you know yeah. that 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 uh, future that long term version of ourselves rather than that short term comfort version of ourselves. Mm. So if we do have some spark of leadership, someone maybe is resonating with this. How do we feed that beast? How do we feed the correct beast and be a leader? Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. Um, I think the first thing I would think to ask them is to say, hey, you know, who's in your circle that you respect? Right? Mm -hmm. Like who's, who's someone in your current circle right now? that you would say, you know what, they have qualities that I want to have and I want to learn how to have them. Um, what would it take for you to just hit them up for coffee to say, Hey, can I just borrow you for 30 minutes and interview you? Because I noticed that, Hey, you know, you're really patient under, under pressure. You're really forgiving. You have a level of compassion that I wish I had, you know, can I just pick your brain for 30 minutes and see what would it take for, you know, to learn how you got to that point. Um, because, you know, on one hand, I would love to, uh, you know, get the attention of Simon Sinek or all these other thought leaders out there. Right. But they're pretty busy and I'm not, you know, I'm exactly on their radar, but you don't have to go to the top top, right. You just need someone that's in your, in your neighborhood, right. That you like. And so just start with your network, right. Start where you are and just say, Hey, who's someone I want to learn from and just, if you have their contact information, you know, it's warm traffic, right? It's there. They're not, you're not cold calling. It's just not hard to just pick up that phone or send that email or fire off that text and just say, Hey, uh, let me pick your brain and learn from you for 30 minutes. I think that would be the next action I would recommend for anyone trying to start. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a perfect idea too, Jerry, because I, we, I think when we look closely, if we take, take a step back and also look closely at the same time you know we, we can kind of look around and I bet you most of us are are if we looked a little bit we, we'd find people in our lives who we do have um, traits they have traits we admire you know I, I feel as I've gotten older um, and I'm able to kind of retrospectively look back at, at you know my teenage years and in how I learned because I was very observant I would, I would watch the people around me because you know I, I was very much um, you know, building my own my own puzzle piece, my my own puzzle with all the pieces, so to, so, so to say. Um, nice. I, I was lear learning along the way. I was very DIY. I was very observant. Of, okay, how does this person do that? Okay, I'm going to try it that way. No, it doesn't work for me. Whatever. Um, and as I get older, I can kind of really, I, I admire so many so many people in my life because I, I I'll see the way they do this one thing or the way they they interact with their family in this way, the way they speak to their wife in this way, the, the way that they take care of their business in this way. And I'm, it's really cool because you can kind of piece together, ooh, I like that this person that I admire does that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that. Oh, and, and the way that he handles this, I'm gonna try that too, you know? So mm -hmm. that, I think that's a great example of finding the people in your circle, finding the people who are available to you. And I bet you that, uh, you know, more often than not, if, if you kind of just straight up with someone and you tell them, hey, Look, here's an area of my life that I want to try to, you know, buckle down on. Here's an area of my life where I'm I'm just not doing super well. Mm -hmm. um, like, let's go to coffee. I'll pay for your coffee, please. Like, yeah. let's just conversate. You know, I bet you the 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 person on the other end would be pretty reciprocating of of mm -hmm. being told that. You know, that's that that would probably feel good to know that someone, one of your friends, or someone in your life, kind of looks up to you in a certain way and, and you have something that they can offer. This is real. That's real community right there. You know, that's absolutely yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, you, you had a quote on your website, be free from the fear of conflict. Mm-hmm. I, like it was just this simple thing. I, I was just kind of browsing through, you know, looking on the website and I, I read that more than once. And mm. I think that that's actually really, really cool because conflict, it's, it's something that so many of us like, will repeat the same thing every day. We'll be almost addicted to conflict in a way, you know, and mm-hmm. we'll, it will be unconscious of it as well. We just think it's part of our everyday life. Well, mm-hmm. I'm talking to Susan and every Friday, Susan ticks me off at work. Here we go. <laughs> you know, like at every, every morning at 8 a.m. I talk to Jeff and, and here we go. That's just the conflict that I deal with for 30 minutes. It's just this thing that sometimes we can get used to. So um, being free from the fear of conflict. I, I think not only noticing that conflict is happening, but noticing that you can be free of it mm-hmm. and um, noticing that it's, you don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid of it. It's something that you can kind of learn to develop within yourself and learn to, um, 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 I, I guess, I guess navigate differently. So mm-hmm. let, let's expand on this, Jerry. What's this uh, be free from the fear of conflict? What does that mean to you? Yeah. Jacob, I'm so happy you did homework. <laughs> you know, hold, hold me to <laughs> hold me to my words. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and uh, trying to get my message across a little more clearly and straightforward. Uh, what's interesting, right, is that in my attempts to resolve conflict, what happens when it's resolved? You go, you experience closure, and you you feel good that you can have some level of relief, right? And guess what's waiting for you? Another conflict. And now the stakes are higher, right? So the wording is very deliberate in that you will never be free of conflict. Mm. And you may never be free, um, you know, from that fear, but you can still deal with it, right? You can say, hey, like, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Um, you can either run from it, which does, never solves the problem, Right. And you'll probably lose a lot of relationships and friendships along the way if you never, uh, if you keep avoiding it. Right. And I've lost friendships that way because I just said, you know what? I, I can't even begin to start. I'm just going to have to drop this one. And that's tough because, you know, there are some friendships, toxic relationships. Yeah. You just have to drop. And that's just a case by case basis. But uh, to be able to recognize, hey, is this healthy conflict or unhealthy conflict? Uh, is you start to notice distinctions the more you lean into this. And so when you realize, for instance, you know, if we have a good working relationship and there's something I did that uh, I messed up on or was not up to your expectation, the worst thing for you to do is not to tell me, right? To say, ah, I'll just get over it. It's like, no, like I would, if, if the, if the tough feedback is coming from someone that I respect and trust, um, addressing that, uh, you know, broken expectation while it's still small is really the healthiest way to maintain the relationship, right? Like no one ever says, oh, that fire's not big enough. I don't have to put it out yet. But that's exactly what we're dealing with, right? Oh, oh no, you know, that's, I can deal with that later. It's like now, you know, now everything's burned down and you're just like, oh, I guess I should have just, you know, put that baking soda on a little sooner. Than, than right, right. Now you're dealing with the so, ashes. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's the idea is just to say, hey, you know what? Uh, there was a point where I was just said, you know, conflict, ugh, like it's just so exhausting and I know I just don't want to deal with this anymore. But now... Uh, and asking myself, well, what are the blessings that conflict brings to the table, right? To recognize that, hey, you know what? I'm seeing this person for who they really are. And wow, okay, now that the truth is all out, now we can actually build on this relationship. And I had to learn that the hard way several times just to say, hey, you know what? Um, 
passive aggressive comments are funny in movies, but they're terrible in real life relationships. So yeah, (laughs) you know, we, we, that's why we have the movies, right. To say stuff that we could never get away with in real life. And people think, well, you know what? I'd love to say that. It's like, try that. Let me know how that goes. Right. Mm. Um, So to ask people, Hey, what would it take for you to be able to say, Hey, you know what? We're going to respectfully disagree on these things, but I still care about you. I still respect you. Uh, We may not line up on everything, but as long as we know that, Hey, there's a common goal we agree on that we need to get done, then let's figure out the best way to do it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll give an example. So I help out with a, uh, a local salsa dancing club at the, at the university uh, I graduated from. So at Rice, I, you know, they started the salsa club and I, and I help out with, and that's, you know, one of the, one of my favorite joys in my weeks, just to teach students how to enjoy dance as much as I do. And so the funny thing is, um, at one point it was just open source sharing. There were no dues, you know, there was no overhead. So we didn't have to charge a lot of money. And so just four people that were generous, including myself, were happy to just, you know, run lessons and just have people have a good time. And then after a while, we just kind of got sick of the fact that even though we didn't need a lot of money, we liked having a little money in the bank in case we wanted to do something or make a nicer purchase or get some nicer equipment, things like that. And I went back and forth with these students because, right, I'm out of school. I'm like, money is a a statement of value. And they say, no, money is a barrier to entry. And so we had this conflict over whether or not to charge dues and go back and forth. Well, you know, we don't want to keep students away and people, you know, uh, they resent you know, they they feel resentful when they have to pay something, just enjoy it. And I say, well, you know, people don't respect free stuff. So how do we, you know, na- navigate all that? And it wasn't for a lack of empathy. And so I just said, hey, at some point, I just kind of held their feet to the fire and said, hey, look, we need to address this. Even if the answer comes out that the best answer is no, we will keep things free. So be it. I just want us to go through the process. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness that they came across a great compromise that for a solution I wouldn't have come up with on my own. And they said, okay, fine. We're going to keep it free for Rice students, but everyone else that's, you know, kind of gleaning, you know, blessing from what we're doing has to pay like, you know, like $15 a semester, which is still nothing for like paying working professionals. Right. And the funny thing is when we implemented that plan, no one fought back because, you know, the students that couldn't have want to keep on to whatever dollars they have, they said, oh, this is still free for us because we already paid all, our, <laughs> used all right. our money for tuition. It's great. And then everyone else, you know, that was, you know, paying, you know, paying money said, no, like 15 bucks for a semester. That's it. That's a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And now we have money in the bank and everyone still comes to our lessons. So, you know, nice. yeah, but yeah, had we not addressed that conflict, right. Uh, you know, had we not acknowledged, Hey, we disagree on these things, but what is the best way forward? I mean, I'm so grateful that we came across that solution and, you know, we're stronger for it. Right. Yeah. But we hadn't, it wouldn't have been if we had been, Oh, I'm, that's just a tough conversation. I don't want to have that. It's like, no, right. now we have money in the bank. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, so often we want to avoid the tough conversation. I've done it tons of times in my own life. Oh, yeah. Of course, you know, we, yeah. we all have our own, our own levels of it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting that I, I, I think it is very powerful to make a decision rather mm-hmm. than, rather than deci- the decision of indecision. Yeah. You know, because that, that's also another point that I've heard. I've heard other leaders um, kind of mm-hmm. state before is, you know, the decision to um, um, enact or the decision to not make a decision is still mm-hmm. a decision. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes um, you, you don't know the the resolutions that are on the other side of just having that that conversation. You know, you guys mm-hmm. came up with something um, new that wasn't even in the original kind of dis- disagreement. Mm-hmm. What did the. Um, because when it comes down to the nitty gritty of actually like face to face with people you're working with, with people you're around, um, looking them in the eye, 
not not having any passive aggressiveness, not you know mm-hmm. really leaving it all on the table, not having our emotions get the best of us, all, all mm-hmm. sorts of sorts of these things. What does it really look like, or what did it look like in that situation um, of actually being able for you to say, "Look, guys, this is clearly plaguing us. This is a decision that we need to come to." So, so the actual boots on the ground conversation. How how did that go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think one of the one of the best uh, solutions I kind of stumbled into and when we finally all got on a Zoom call to discuss everything was number one, for me to acknowledge uh, the strong points of their argument, right? Uh, Because that shows a level of respect and attention and empathy saying, hey, I am paying attention to what you're actually saying. Um, And to be able to say, hey, look guys, like here's where we were these were the strong points. This is the case uh, to keep that going, to say, hey, you know what? We're just about sharing and it doesn't cost us a lot to share. So let's just keep sharing. And that's basically, you know, their mentalities. And they said, hey, we have a, you know, a good nucleus of people for right now. This solution will work. And then, you know, from my standpoint to be able to say, hey, look, guys, uh, my stance in light of this is to say, well, you know, I'm happy to be generous and I also want some indication that my time, experience, and effort are worth something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and making the case that, hey, people take this more seriously and we'll have less attrition if people have skin in the game. So, given all these strengths that sometimes may feel like they're at odds, uh, how do we address this? And to dovetail on that quickly, right? There, there's an interesting thing that happens when you acknowledge the other side's strengths, right? Number one, it diffuses the argument, any any kind of like antagonism, because people realize, oh, we don't have to dig our heels in, right? He already understands and appreciates what we bring mm. to the table. And oh, yeah, that means we're on the same side. We're all working toward a common goal of trying to keep this club viable. Yeah, so how do we good. just do that? Um, I was re-listening to a book called Decisive by uh, Chip and Dan Heath, and they talk about the situation. And I'm glad I managed to review it right before this podcast. They talk about this company that had a mind that was not doing well financially. And, you know, the executives want to close it because it is financially uh, in the red, but then all the employees of the mine are saying, no, you need to keep it open. You know, we have bills to pay, we have, you know, mouths to feed. And so, you know, this new executive comes in and challenges them and says, well, hey guys, let's look at all the options on the table. And I want you to ask yourself, what would it take for each option to be the best option? And all of a sudden, it, the conflict shifted from antagonizing to collaborative and productive conflict because now people are advocating. You know, now the now the miners have to ask themselves, well, what would it be? You know, if we had to close the mine, what would what would have to be true for closing the mine to be the best decision for this company, right? So, or same thing with keeping it open to say, hey, you know, if we were to keep the mine open, what would what kind of numbers would they need to hit in order to for us to reconsider closing the mine, right? right. And so the interesting thing in, enough was interestingly enough after all this deliberation, they realized, no, we're going to have to close this mine. So even the miners understood, they say, hey, it sucks, but we understand that we have to close this mine and mm-hmm. we're going to have to deal with the next actions for everybody that will be affected by it, right? All of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like I don't even know how it would have started. So had I not studied this example, man, I'm so glad that I don't have to make all the mistakes to learn from in order to be effective, right? I can study this one and share it with other people. So anyway. Yeah. 
no, no, th- th- that one is perfect to get everybody else's mind on board, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and again, have that difficult conversation. I'm sure this was probably a long elaborated conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know wh- how they uh, painted it in the book, but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, because the, you know, passive aggressiveness as well as people pleasing, going back to mm-hmm. that word. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned it before. I think that is, that is a huge one. I, I deal with, I deal with people pleasing fairly often, um, Mm. just my my own versions of it because I'm, Mm. I've always been this chameleon personality. Um, Mm -hmm. I I have my, I have my natural state and I feel like, you know, like me me out in the woods by myself, um, you know, that that's, that's a different person than you're going to get when I'm social for, for a couple of days and in around people. I just really Mm. like reflecting people's, um, personalities back to them and and reciprocating. And and, I don't know, just, just seems to be my, my natural state of being, but Mm -hmm. it, it makes me being a chameleon and mirroring other people, um, often does put me in a place of people pleasing where I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of looking where, what, what does this other person want? And I've kind of learned how I've gotten that way and, and how my, my development as a, as a young person has, um, how it was helpful to me as a younger person and how it's unhelpful and helpful to me as, as I get older. So it's always a, a, a stepping stone I'm trying to navigate. Mm. Um, but the, when it comes to people pleasing, what, what, what do you find the people that you're coaching, um, even in your own life, how Mm. do we, not only learn about it, but how do we kind of improve uh, on this, you know, stand up for ourselves a little bit more, um, re- really listen to our, our inner guidance and, and, and speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. I love these questions because it is, I think this is, even if you feel good at, you feel like you're good at conflict, right? Like how can you not, you know, glean something about reviewing fundamentals or trying to still get better at it. Right. Cause as you said, leadership is a lifelong skill and conflict resolution is no different. Um, I think the first is just to, yeah, generate that level of awareness, right? What am I feeling right now? Like if something, if a promise it feels like it's broken, you know, what, how do I feel and why? And to be able to be willing to say, um, you know, if I keep this inside me, it doesn't do any good. Uh, I think that was really one of my biggest turning points in conflict resolution was recognizing if I'm frustrated, the worst thing I can do is just suppress it and try to dissipate it on my own. Um, and then the second mistake is to talk to everyone else around the conflict and, you know, so it's one thing to like get it out in the open, but if it's not with the person that you need to resolve the conflict with, that's also unproductive. Right. Mm. Um, and so to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Um, I can't afford to tolerate this. I think that's the first thing to realize about yourself to say, Hey, you know what? Um, there is something broken and I can't afford to let it sit because if I do, I'm just going to get more and more resentful. And I've seen that time and time again, people just need to ask themselves, what's the cost of inaction? As we said earlier. And so the second is, okay, if this is out and about now, do I recognize that the person I need to address with is a collaborator, you know, is a teammate, is a friend and, you know, the best thing for our relationship is for me to be honest. I do need to learn how to be tactful, right? Unless it's a level of bluntness that both people can appreciate and are willing to like, you know, uh, understand, Hey, you know what? I might, this might come across a little rough, but I'd rather say it than not. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so the second is, okay, I can't tolerate inaction. Um, if I care enough about this person and care enough about the relationship, I need to go ahead and directly address it with the problem with them. And then from there, just to say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not sure why I'm having these feelings, but these are my feelings. And I need to share them with you because um, help me process the story behind them. Help me understand this, right? Because that's one of the, quote, trump cards that people use in conflict resolution to say, hey, they can't refute how you feel. 
Like they, they might disagree with it, but they can't refute that. And you have to use that very carefully because on one hand, you're just trying to be honest, but you can't afford to be manipulative, right? That's, that's mm. the other, that's the other big mistake. I think that people, when it comes to this, but I think the initial response to your question is to say, yeah, um, generate that awareness, uh, recognize that, um, you have to do something about it. And then also to remember, Hey, uh, this is not about my ego. This is about trying to, uh, agree on and honor a higher standard between me and the person that I need to address this with. And I think that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely like that when it comes to, I feel like our emotions often get in the way, right? Mm-hmm. I, is that something that you, that you find often you're having to, to bring, bring, shine a little light on, bring awareness around, um, of, of maybe people not even recognizing when their emotions are, are getting the best of them when emotions, because if, if I start getting angry and I'm, I'm trying to solve a conflict mm-hmm. and I start getting overly emotional or erratic mm-hmm. or whatever, sometimes the other person is going to mirror it, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to, we're going to kind of activate each other in an unnecessary way. Do, mm-hmm. do you have any, um, in, any resolutions for people who, who might be needing to either, um, notice that they're having an emotional response or even just if they do already know that they, they have it, how do they kind of keep it under, under control under, under lock and key? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely not a one size fits all kind of answer, but I think for the truest principles for anybody, you know, for some people they say, Hey, let me just journal like right now, just let me mental okay. ram dump on a piece of paper. This is what happened. This is what I'm feeling because the sooner you give yourself uh, you sooner you get it out of your head and into a, a third person state, right? You can kind of be more objective with evaluating your situation. Uh, so that's one approach that might work for some people. Other people might need 24 hours, right? Just to say, Hey, you know what, let me, let me, um, sit and process this, um, and calm down and kind of get it out of my, let, let that ride out of my system before I can get back to a rational way of thinking. Because I think while we can't, you know, do away with them completely. I think it's, I think it's foolish just to completely disregard them or, you know, to like ignore them because we're human. Like we have feelings, we have emotions, but to channel them in a way that's still ultimately constructive because yeah, like on one hand, Hey, your emotions and feelings might be telling you something about the situation. Maybe, maybe it's just that like for me, right. If someone breaks a promise, I feel disrespected. That's the first thing uh, that I feel. I feel disrespected because it says, Hey, you made this promise. Even if you didn't keep it as originally, uh, intended, like my expectations that you still find a way to honor it, that you, you know, communicate with me proactively why you couldn't honor it and that we make, you know, alternate arrangements. And it's not without grace. Like you obviously, you know, want to be more accommodating because yeah, like life happens from family emergencies come up. So it's not fair for me to completely judge them based on my understanding of the situation. But I do believe, Hey, you know what? Your emotions are telling you something. So yeah, don't disregard them, but study them, but also don't let them affect how you respond to other situations. And so if you need to take a day before addressing a situation, you don't want to wait too long, obviously, because resentment just festers, but Hey, let them know, Hey, I, you know, this happened, I'm going to give me a day and then I'll, I'll reach back out again to you. And then we'll be able to assess and, and, uh, you know, collaborate. So something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people will be surprised how, how different our reactions to something are going to be if we just give it 24 hours. We just give mm-hmm. it a little bit of time to, to cool off, let, let whatever biochemical responses that were happening in that moment kind of mm-hmm. settle. All right, let's get clear minded. What do I really think about that? What do I really desire out of that situation? Mm-hmm. What do we, what, what's the best for our overall, you know, um, um, community in, in this situation, our, our whole mm-hmm. group, our whole team. Uh, yeah. Jerry, do you, do you watch, uh, 
uh, just thinking about someone who's a conflict resolution coach, do you, how do you feel when you watch things like the presidential debate, um, like like the the more recent one, like where they're where they're not re- even communicating, they're just kind of attacking each other, and it, it just just so silly. I imagine w- with all of your your experience in this in this realm, you probably mm. just oh man, you guys are doing everything wrong. How do you feel when you watch stuff like that? Uh, a couple thoughts. Number one, it makes me sad. Right. That you <laughs> like these, pe- these people have come along so far in life and then you decide to default to really bad and childish and immature habits. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I won't, I don't want to, again, in my desire to avoid unnecessary conflict, I don't want to get overly political, but at the same time I can, I can honestly say, Hey, look, you know, I've seen enough evidence to know, you know, the fact that there are people out there that deliberately, uh, prey on discord and like to like to antagonize in an attempt to make an us versus them mentality, you know, and it's not just for like the, you know, recent presidential elections. This is, I see it true. I've seen it true on my work team. I had to fire a technician a couple of years ago because she actively sowed discord because she was more concerned about looking like the best person for the job because she wanted to actively sabotage everybody else. Mm. And it was maddening that she felt like that she had to do this. And even worse, she was taking on work that she couldn't handle herself. And anytime she messed up, she would keep it to herself because she didn't want to deal with the fallout that was that she feared if she found, if we found out the bosses found out that she was not doing her job. And, you know, it was just a, a, just a, a really destructive cycle. And so, yes, anytime people like let their ego get in the way of these things, um, to a point where it's more about like how you hurt me as opposed to, Hey, let's, let's, let's agree on an accepted standard to make sure, Hey, let's keep this company open. Right. Like mm-hmm. we can't afford to, we have enough missiles firing at our ship outside of us. We can't afford yeah. to be sinking our own boat. Right. But yeah. that's exactly what people do. It's and, us yeah. versus the problem. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, you know, we can handle any missile that comes at us, but you know, it's not, if we don't have a boat to, to float then no like the missiles the missile will only just you know add to the the problems already here so yeah let's let's straighten things out internally for sure <laughs> yeah yeah it, it kind of reminds me of have you ever watched game of thrones uh just clips D- just clips oh yeah. yeah basically um mm-hmm. i mean you definitely can't summarize game of thrones it's a very very elaborate show <laughs> yeah. um yeah but but the point the, the point that i was um, mm-hmm. um glancing towards in this is um one of the main characters john snow mm-hmm. there's there's something going on there's something bigger than the who's going to get to sit in the iron throne like who gets mm-hmm. the chair who's who's mm-hmm. the king because it's mm-hmm. like the king thing doesn't matter when mm-hmm. you know global warming's coming or the, the in, in, in <laughs> yeah. game of thrones the king doesn't matter when there's like these white walker zombie type mm-hmm. things that are going to kind of come and just destroy all of us it doesn't matter mm-hmm. uh, who's sitting on the throne when there's nobody yeah. left to sit on the throne you know exactly uh, yeah so so we, we we get kind of lost in the in in, in the weeds there and uh, mm-hmm. forgetting forgetting what's important for sure <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, so what if you won? Like they're about, you know, if, even if she, even though the technician managed to get everyone else fired so she could be, you know, still be around. It's like yeah. the company had to shut down because of all the stuff that you messed up. It's like, okay, well, you're gonna have to move on anyway. Yeah. You know, good luck. Well, well so, so in, in that specific situation, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure like how much you can indulge in that. What, what was going mm-hmm. on in her? I mean, this is a strange way to word it, but what was going on in her head? You know, like what 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 do you see as as someone who is a um, a conflict resolution coach? You know, w- w- with your experience, um, with your ability to to you know probably read people pretty well. Um, I'm sure that that ability is improving more and more too. But 
what, what, what would you say was going on with, with her? Like what, what was she trying to get or not get or? Yeah. Uh, no, it's, I'm, I'm, there are no names, so I can, I can air all the dirty okay, launches. Okay, there's, okay. there's no names. <laughs> um, and plus, you know, in the event that she is listening, Hey, you know, I'll say, Hey, you know, I hope you're doing well. And, you know, I hope you were able to learn from this and, and grow as a person, you know, so, Hey, no, no ill will. I hope nothing comes across as subtweeting or like dancing in anyone's grave because I, I am know. sad that, you know, we had to have this come to this moment of closure, even if it was an outcome that she may have disagreed with, but yeah, it comes back down to um, thinking that the best way to get ahead is to sabotage others, is to just make others look bad. Or, you know, if you like to get paid, but don't really want to do the work that's involved, there's some kind of broken uh, thinking involved, right? That just says, hey, you know, I'm doing a good job and no one needs to let me know how I'm messing up because I don't want to feel like incompetent because I have mistakes to learn from or things to improve upon. And unless I need to do some like, uh, customer service level or, you know, damage control or, you know, spin doctor thing just to kind of smooth over my mistakes. Um, yeah. So when people don't, uh, remove their ego from the situation, like I tell people, I say, look, um, I'm not worried about getting credit. If I get the work done and I do a good job and I make things easier for other people to do their work more effectively, credit will find me. And of course, I'm just going to deflect it back to my team and say, hey, you know what? This is nice. Thank you for this. I couldn't have done it without their help. Right. Uh, but for people who feel like they have to spotlight all the work that they're doing and, uh, you know, are afraid for job security if they don't, you know, have the do the heaviest lifting, things like that, or, you know, hide things. The fact that anyone needs to hide anything is really the biggest red flag, right? When they feel like, oh, you know, I'm just going to keep this to myself and hopefully people won't find out how bad a problem it is until like the bomb like eventually blows up at when I'm not there or after I'm fired. Cause you know, after, after we dismissed her, you know, we found out everything oh we had to do a whole ton of cleanup after the first in the next two months because of everything that she was hiding that she was you know making you know bad promises for because yeah. she couldn't handle it on her own and yeah so this unwillingness to delegate unwillingness to communicate um in her mind where she feels like yeah i have to make myself look good and i have to justify myself this way as opposed to taking the feedback and being humble and coachable and when the company says hey look this is this is the system you're going to have to buy into if you're going to be here. And if you trust us enough uh, that, you know, we're not, we don't want it. We're not going to dismiss your opinions. Um, but at the same time, I, we need you to consider our feedback uh, and how you want to act on this. If you expect the team to really flourish in a way, so you're not burnt out, you don't feel like you have to hide anything and uh, you're going to be willing uh, to receive feedback that you may not like, as long as you understand that this is in your best interest, right? We want to tell you how to stay employed with this company. And, you know, and that I had to do it again with my text recently, even after we thought we cleaned house, there are some people that are still reverting to bad habits. And again, it's like, Hey, the most loving thing I can do for you is tell you exactly what you need to do to improve. Like, I'd rather ask questions and let you discover for yourself. But in this moment, if it's too urgent, okay, we're going to give you some directives and the clarity that you say you need so that this doesn't happen again. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also being able to, to ask for help, you know, that's such a hard oh, thing yeah. too. Yeah. This, I mean, if, if you recognize that you're in an environment where, um, you know, your, your leadership team or just your team around you is willing to, to really like listen and really, um, you know, not, not brush you off or, or, or any of those sorts of things. If, if, if there's an environment where you feel comfortable and safe saying, 
you guys, I, I just don't know. I, just, I need some help for this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that, that's a good thing. So it, it, recognizing if you do have that environment around or some um, uh, doorway to, to those sort of conversations, like definitely, definitely take it on because there's no shame in, in saying, hey, look, I, I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is. Um, you know, I, I think there is part of it that it, it does kind of hurt to admit that we're not as competent as, as maybe we put on <laughs> to be. You know, yeah. I, I think we all have our own, our own, um, you know, our, our own fear of inadequacy for, of for those sorts of things. But, but it, it, it is a powerful, I, I would say that it takes um, courage is, is, is a good word for that. If mm-hmm. you're the person who needs help, having the courage to ask for help, having the courage yeah. to say, you guys have kind of dug myself into a hole. I'm so sorry that we're all going to have to work a little bit harder for the next couple of days, but it's going to save us, you know, from having months long of work. I think mm-hmm. that that's really worth it. And, and that is something mm-hmm. worth, worth leaning into. It's good to have that courage to say, I need mm-hmm. some help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The last thing we would want is for people to think, no, I, I don't have any blind spots. I, I'm perfectly competent to handle everything you throw at me. And it's like, that's that can work up to an extent but if you're honestly taking more than you can honestly handle it's silly and foolish to say no boss yeah i'll I'll figure out a way to get it right Mm -hmm. instead of being able to um kindly negotiate well boss you know this is what you have me working on here and then you have you know project b and c and d now you want me to take on project e so based on a b c and d like what do you want me to kind of shelve or put off for right now so I can focus on E if this is really the most urgent thing, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, no, boss, you know, c- conflict aversion, right? And, oh, yeah, boss, just keep giving whatever you want me. I'll get yeah. it done. I can handle it, yeah. Yeah. And then you're up getting no sleep and you're, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, and you're stressed out and it's just adding up and yeah. And then you, then you, you kind of half-ass a few things rather than, mm-hmm. than whole-assing one thing, you know, as <laughs> yeah. they say. Yeah. Um, Hey, hey, I did want to go. It, it sounds like you um, are well versed in the uh, literature world. So, do you mm-hmm. have book recommendations? I, I always love to get book recommendations from the, oh, from the guests. Oh, Jacob, you're speaking my language. What I... do you got, man? What do you got? <laughs> and, and what what have you been reading lately as well? Yeah. Um, so, some of my favorite books. Um, there are five books by the Heath brothers that I think every leader needs to at least consider reading. Um, okay. They are. Made to Stick, uh, Power of Moments, Switch, Decisive, and Upstream. And all five of them have compelling examples and will really inspire you to, to really uh, just do some amazing things with your life. Um, Michael Bungie Stanier wrote two books for coaching. One, uh, the first one is The Coaching Habit, talking about the seven questions leaders can ask to, uh, you know, not uh, get burnt out, uh, you know, compensating for every team mistake that your team makes. Uh, the second uh, by him is called The Advice Trap and recognizing, hey, your advice actually isn't helping as, as much as you think it is. You know, just because you think you have the right answer doesn't mean they're going to use it or apply it the way you think is best. You know, um, getting things done on the productivity side, getting things done by David Allen. He, he can get certified in his productivity methods. So it's just this really crazy global movement. Um, I also like um, Atomic Habits. James Clear, he does a good job just, yeah, just tailoring, you know, how do I, what are the four aspects of making sure I get a habit to stick? Uh, I recently finished Limitless by Jim Quick. That's K-W-I-K. Really great story, really simple uh, uh, fundamentals on on how to really unlock your mind power. And uh, I've finished a couple business books, uh, Donald Miller's uh, Building a Story Brand, 
uh, has done an excellent job in terms of making your marketing clear and straightforward in terms of, you know, helping drive more business to your company. And uh, he has one I'm going through now called Business Made Simple. It's a 60 day exercise in just learning how to get your business off the ground. And yeah, so uh, a range of things. There's also some fiction in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Celeste Ong wrote uh, two really good books, uh, Everything I Never Told You and Little Fires Everywhere that resonated with me because they you know, center around like Asian families and the shame culture that, you know, mm-hmm. that we all get, uh, you know, kind of run through as we grow up. Um, yeah, there's just so many out there, but yeah, if you had to start somewhere, uh, those are some of my bread and butter books. And then also some of the more recent ones that I'm cleaning useful information from. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Th- th- oh man. There's so many good books out there. I've been, um, my, my roommate suggested a while back, a few months back, he handed me one of his books and it was, a. um, it's like the way of the warrior or, or, or mm-hmm. something like that. But mm-hmm. basically he was handing it to me with a kind of like a suggestion to get out of my head because I mm-hmm. read all these, you know, uh, uh, philosophy books or meditation books mm-hmm. or, um, uh, you know, the autobi- autobiography of a yogi. I'm reading all nice. these like self-help motivational books and yeah. that's what I love doing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it helps me, helps me in, in any of this sort sort of world, you know, I feel like the, uh, the gems that I'm able to, to gain from those books and, and repeat in my own words is, is helpful to people. Um, but, uh, so taking his advice, I didn't read the book that he handed me cause I was, uh, he's like, do something less nonfiction, do something that's just enjoyable <laughs> where you're just kind of reading a book where there's not a goal where you're just in, in, enjoying it. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I refuted the book that he handed me. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later I did listen to what he said though. I, I did agree. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to just enjoy reading. So, um, I got a, I got a Re- ready player Two. Um, nice. by, was it Ernest Klein? I got that on Audible, Audible, and just finished that a couple of days ago. So, th- that was a good one. So, a- another um, um, uh, f- fiction book that's that's worth reading. Re- Ready Player Two. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in in the world of, let's see, let's glance at my notes. What do we, what do we cover? We covered a lot of good stuff already, Cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, the the internal conversation. Let's dip our toes into that. The internal conversation mm-hmm. between. Um, because that's kind of what we're all experiencing, right? You know, we have these, what does it look like when you're talking to this person? How does it look like if you're watching the conversation on the outside? What about our internal dialogue as we're having Mm. not only conflict, but, um, you know, if we're coming up in areas, maybe it's not even in the workplace where we're people pleasing, where mm-hmm. we can bring awareness to these things, where we're noticing that they're happening. Mm-hmm. What, what's this in, internal dialogue look like and how can we kind of prod it and poke it towards the, the correct, powerful uh, areas? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a fun one for sure. Uh, so the example I usually like to share is that growing up right the opinions of people you care about or respect or you know you hold in high esteem like your parents right uh usually you transfer that to yourself um you know and so one example i shared in another podcast was talking about how um you know my parents had an interesting long game and they told me later when i grew up they said hey you know we withheld a lot of praise because we were afraid that if we gave you too much like encouragement or you know good job son like you wouldn't work as hard and one of the things I remember my dad telling me is uh, during one Saturday morning math session, right? Everyone else is watching cartoons, but I have to do SAT prep books, right? Um, there was a concept that I was struggling with at some point. And so he said, you know, Jerry, give, uh, let me give you a Japanese lesson really quick. Head, Adama, concrete, 
konkuri. Atama konkuri. And so he's basically taught me Japanese to tell me that my head was made of concrete. Dang. And even funnier is that I could totally hear my paternal grandpa, his dad, doing that to him. Right, because my my grandpa grew up in Taiwan during World War II, and so they had to learn German and Japanese as part of Axis domination, right? And so this is what gets passed down to me: is that maybe if we tell him he's stupid, he'll work hard enough so we don't have to tell him he's stupid anymore.、Oh. Guess what I'm telling myself after I go through this, right?、Oh, I'm stupid. I'm just not worth it. I don't know that, right? And then that transfers to other areas of my life, right? You know, a date goes bad or it doesn't quite go. It's just like, oh god, so undateable, blah blah blah, right? And so now, even on the outside, when I I can do enough hard work to you know finish the pharmacy school degree, get licensed, get a, present myself well to get a job, but I'm just hating myself inside, right? And you know. For the longest time, I didn't want to tell people that I struggled with insecurity. I didn't want to admit that this was a problem because it just felt like such a stigma. And so it wasn't until even recently,、um, where I, I I would I remember when I moved to Houston and I mentioned that I struggled with insecurity to a, a friend I'd recently gotten to know, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I, I struggle with that too." And I just said, "Oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that," and that you know that was comforting. But you know, it was a long way to go, right? It's one thing to acknowledge the problem in front of you; it's another to actually try to, you know, develop a plan or to,、uh, you know, tailor your approach to actually deal with these, like,、uh, you know, limiting beliefs or,、uh, as、uh, Jim Quick says, you know, aut- automatic negative thoughts, right?、Uh, oh, so,、cool. uh, the first kind of to go back to the practical plan, right? You know, what are you doing to generate awareness? Is the first question I like to ask people. Because、uh, that's usually the first thing that people overlook. They're so distraction prone. Oh, hey, I got another like on Instagram. I did all this other stuff, and they don't want to deal with like the bigger problems in front of them. And I try not to make fun of you know technicians I work with in the past, but they are always on their phones, and it's just kind of like, okay. On one hand, I'm already annoyed that you're probably not working on what you need to be. Number two. Even worse, you're not even being productive with that time. Like if you're on an ebook I gave you, you know, great. Maybe I might roll my eyes, but at least you, even if you're not doing the immediate task at hand, at least you're you're still developing yourself. But yeah, to generate that awareness, to say you know journal or something, right? Just ask yourself, why am I thinking? What am I thinking? You know, how did this get here? Why am I telling myself this? And then to say, you know, is this helpful? Is this accurate? You know, why? You know, why do I think it's accurate? I've been caught so many times, Jacob. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, a girl doesn't return my texts in like the next five minutes, and I've already assumed that she's blown me off. Right? It's just you、yeah. know, just the stories we tell. Well, I guess、ourselves. I'm uninteresting. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I guess she's not that excited about me.、Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so to really first catalog your thoughts, and then to but to also ask yourself, okay, you know, if do I like what I'm seeing or do I like what I'm observing? Okay, what do I want to do about this? How do I change this? How do I want to respond to this? Um, you know, do I need help? Right. If it is a clinical issue, then yeah, by all means, there's no shame in that.、Uh, one of the earliest podcasts I did was with a clinical clinical psychologist out on the West Coast, who's highlighting the mental health journeys of all these Asian, you know, celebrities, and it is honestly ridiculous to hear some of the things that they've been through and what they tell themselves. You know, you hear extreme amounts of depression with like Margaret Cho and all those other things. Like William Hung has had two divorces, and it's like, wait, I thought they achieved the success, and then it turns out, nope, they. They have life stress just like everybody else,、mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, all that to say, right? Yeah, first ask yourself, do I like what's on my mind? Yes or no? If I do, how do I build on it? You know, what do I what where do I take that next step? How do I take it to the next level? Or if I don't like it, hey, it's okay. You know, glad I found out. 
and what help do I need? Who can help me kind of maybe change my narrative a little bit so that I'm actually on a more productive path. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. That, that's incredibly valuable right there, Jerry. Um, I was thinking about the, uh, when you were mentioning uh, the technicians being on their phones, it just mm-hmm. makes me think about, so I'm, I'm uh, millennial. And mm-hmm. so I definitely, you know, early, early high school, I was, you know, we had MySpace, we had, we had the, the internet, you know, but I was mm-hmm. still at the beginning when we were using dial up and we kind of transitioned into where you can actually, someone can be on the phone in, in, in your house while oh you're, gosh. while you're also yeah. on the computer. It was this cool thing. Yeah, uh, no, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Some fun stories. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we, we have this, this big, very, very different world, very, very changing world. You know, as, as I get older, I realized, so, so in high school and then the few years after high school, I was very much addicted to my phone. I was always mm-hmm. on social media. Um, I didn't realize how often I was, I was not being present, how often I was, I mean, I would get to the point where as people are talking to me, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm listening. And then I suddenly start scrolling through Instagram as, as, in a conversation and I didn't realize how disconnected that was making me feel Um, I didn't realize the amount of times where if I was in an uncomfortable situation I would just pull out my phone Um, you know like the the simple example of waiting for an elevator and there's people around you and you know maybe you don't want to have conversation that's okay but even just Mm -hmm. just sitting there and existing just being Mm -hmm. like that was so difficult I I pull out my phone and so you know and I think this adds to a lot of our a lot of our insecurities um, and in it I don't know. It, it just, it, it's, it's difficult to solve a lot of our conflicts in so many ways when we're so distracted by all the pretty colors on our, on, on our phone. So yeah. do you have, do you have any observations of kind of our, our, our modern age with these, with these phones? And don't get me wrong. I love all the things we're able to do. It's amazing. Yeah. It's literally a mm-hmm. magic miracle in a box. Like it's it just is. this magic box in our pocket that does mm-hmm. whatever we want it to do. I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for it, but I do also recognize, and I like to point out the ways and, and bring to our awareness that, um, you know, it, it, how it doesn't help us to, to consistently be on our phone and consistently be, be pulling it out and distracting ourselves and how much it makes us not able to, mm-hmm. to sprint for long periods of time um, um, w- when it comes to work. So in the area of, of conflict resolution, mm-hmm. how, does, how do our phones negatively affect us? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll quote another um, Book that I like, and I and I'll I'll cite what the author specifically says about phones in that whole process, or smartphones anyway. So Eric Barker is barking up the wrong tree. Everything we know about success is mostly wrong. Easily one of the best and like most encompassing books on defining your success that anyone should read. Just to ask yourself, what am I really wanting out of life? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a specific chapter he talks about a comic book reference with like Venom and how it overtakes the host and everything else. So the stuff for those of you who are. Marvel fans, great. Yes. For those of you who aren't, just look up the quick wiki article and get up to speed on this. Um, and they compare this to a smartphone where it says, hey, I love, you know, I love the power that this device has. And I also hate the power that it can have over me. Right. And it's it's like, you know, Stephen Covey called it so many years ago. Right. He said, technology is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And that's true for money. Money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master, right? Um, And all that to say, right, yeah, like I remember when I first finally decided to upgrade to a smartphone after, you know, I realized that some of the benefits I needed uh, were not coming from my basic phone that everyone kept making fun of. (laughs) And I didn't know that the default settings were to notify me every time I got an email. 
So like every five seconds, ding. Oh, hey, let me go check. Oh, it's spam. Okay, put it away. Mm-hmm. Ding. Oh, let me go check. Oh, no, nor spam. And I said, this is worse than ever. So let me just turn off these distractions now. Let me turn off these notifications. And I've been much more cognizant of this. It took me a while for me to finally kind of uh, game my environment so that I would not be on my smartphone late at night, you know, doing Duolingo lessons or anything else that was moderately productive, but still, you know, I was losing sleep that I, you know, sleep is much more important than language learning at midnight. Right. Um, and so to your point with conflict resolution, if you are not entirely present, it will never go well. Right. If people feel like you aren't actually listening to them, good luck. Right. Mm-hmm. It's I remember I, you know, to your point, I remember when I was sitting at dinner with a friend I hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, I had just gotten the phone that would allow me to text. This was before I actually had the smartphone where I had like the slider and it was so cool. But I remember, you know, I was waiting on another friend to contact me afterwards in order to go to a convention I was in town with. And so I'm with this other friend who wasn't part of that whole thing. But, you know, we're talking. And, you know, and then I get a ding on my phone and then, you know, so I kind of, I start to answer it. And as I'm starting to answer it, I see him slough off and also begin to answer because he would need to, you know, text back his wife. And all of a sudden, boom, we were in the same, we were sitting at the same table, but we were more disconnected than ever. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing happens here. I put my phone in my backpack and I zip it up just to be sure I don't touch it at work any more than I have to. Um, you know, or if I'm, uh, if I have to focus on a project, like, you know, recording a podcast or something like that, I make sure my phone is like downstairs away where I can't even like get anywhere. And I'll, I'll be happy to admit it's right here next to me, but I'm doing my best just to make sure that even if something happens, I'm not touching it. Cause how, like, how terrible would that be? Oh yeah. Jacob. Great question. Let me, let me hang on a second. No, 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 no. Right. Yeah, I'm sitting that, would, that would be, that would be completely disrespectful. And then I wouldn't get any more gigs. Cause they're just like, yeah, Jerry, you know, he's an interesting guy, but he's just, he's, he's, compost- he's yeah. addicted to his He phone. was on Twitter a lot during our podcast yeah, right? conversation. Everyone <laughs> needs to listen to this podcast. It's really, I promise you I'm doing PR. Um, but yeah, basically with conflict, if you do not know how to read the room, if you do not read, the other person correctly, right? It is in your best interest and not just yours, but for the relationship and for the long-term game um, to pay attention, not only to what's being said, but how it's being said and the body language and and the tone and everything else so that you know exactly how you need to respond in a way that shows that you care for them, you respect them, uh, even if you disagree with them, uh, hey, look, there's something bigger that we need to shoot for. So let's talk about how to do that. Yeah, yeah, because I think, you know, you know, we, we could hear about body language in itself and we kind of separate it from it's interesting to learn about body language in the psychology world because, mm. you're like, oh, OK, so if they're standing like this and if they're doing this, they're reciprocating and, and blah, blah. But really, if you look at it, all of that, yes, plus, um, you know, a, a more holistic uh, 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 observation of, of someone actually listening, you know, I, mm. I think that we when you're not fully tentative, you don't realize how much you're missing. You don't realize how much, mm. um, I, I don't know. I, I think that life can be a lot richer when you're, when you're really listening, you know, as, mm-hmm. as, as tempting as it is to pull out our little pocket mosquito, you know, and it's buzzing. <laughs> Good um, metaphor. yeah, I think I stole that from uh, Russell Brand. Actually. I think, I think he has said it before. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh it's it's this this gift and a curse. This thing, um, our, our phones. You know, it's this wonderful wonderful thing. But it, uh, I think, it actually is is pretty important. I notice how much mm-hmm. more. You know, like I've seen with body language, where we really 
a lot of times we were communicating with more than just our words, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of times I'm not listening to exactly what you're saying. I'm trying mm-hmm. to understand what do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're trying to poke this epiphany um, of, of understanding within me. And it's not always the exact words. You know, we get right. we get kind of hung up on the words, but it, it really is when you when you're listening, when when you're tentative, it communicates this this much bigger um this this much bigger thing to the person i think about um when i was younger i used to work um so it's like 16 to 19 i worked in the mall i had a few different jobs in the mall customer nice. service and yeah. uh th- at that time it was certainly it was it, it was an environment of we all had phones um but it wasn't yet okay to where we've all kind of accepted we're all just going to have them and as long as you use it appropriately you just pull it put it back in your pocket and get back to the mm-hmm. customer um it was very much a hey man you need to leave your phone in the back room like there's no mm-hmm. reason why you need to have your phone that's just kind of how it was back then um and then now I, i'll go to stores and maybe it's because i, I learned this other way um mm-hmm. i'll go to stores and i'll see get a lot of young people they don't greet me when i walk into the to oh, clothing no. store and, and they're they're on their phone and i'm kind of looking around mm-hmm. and i'm you know there's maybe there's something up high and I'm kind of like giving the side eye like hey can you come come glance over whatever and they're they're texting behind the counter whatever um and so and so and I'm not trying to say this as like some some old man who's like hey back in my day we had to keep our phones in the back room you know but but there really is you know there's so much more just by me glancing over at at a clothing Mm -hmm. store Mm -hmm. uh, it really communicates so much to me to have the other person meet my gaze and say what's up do you need help I'm here for you I got you you know in it it, it improves it improves their social skills you know Mm -hmm. the 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 skills that they're going to have in the years to come like Mm -hmm. a a lot of my um, I'm an introverted dude but a lot of my external um, sharpened abilities came from working at clothing stores being Mm -hmm. in customer service kind of having to force myself to get out of my comfort zone you know and uh, I I think maybe what I'm trying to say is just just a reminder that the cell phone is 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 a comfort zone in in, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and I think that you know, rounding it back to conflict resolution. A lot of times we might be missing what each other are really saying. We might mm-hmm. be misunderstanding one another because we're not fully present. And, you know, mm-hmm. if the phone's pulling you out of that, maybe maybe take, take a second look or, or turn off notifications. You know, that, that's a big one that you said. Um, yeah. Turning off notifications. I did that. I have a, a couple things I have notifications on, but for mm-hmm. the most part, um, I have notifications off on, you know, social media, like, like the fun stuff that I don't really need mm-hmm. to respond to right now, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, well, Jerry, we are getting up here for uh, up here in time. I do have one more question for you, but before, before just so just so we don't forget, I want to make sure we get. Um, can we send the listeners to like w- what's your website? What are you working on? What are your socials? Let's make sure we we get them sent your way if they want to learn learn more about your world. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, uh, the website is www.adaptingleaders.com, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the one social channel I've been focusing on for right now. So yeah, feel free to you know find me on there. Uh, if you go to my website, uh, there are plenty of buttons there you can hit to just get a free 30-minute call. Just you know, no strings attached. Just tell me what you're working on, right? Tell me your story. Tell me you know how I can possibly be a resource for you, and whether you choose to hire me formally as a coach or not, or you know help you know get me. You know, if you want to hire me for a group workshop, say, hey, you know, we've got some major conflict dynamics at our organization. We think, you know, your perspective uh, would be would be helpful to us. Win the day, sure. Um, but for those of you who say, hey, you know, my budget's a little tight and I just need to bootstrap it for right now, my blog is free. 
Uh, and if you want to ask me directly, I'll, you know, you replay this podcast and say, Hey, Jerry mentioned five books that I should just start reading right now. Yes. Get those on a used books, used book website, start reading. Hey, you know, come back and tell me, Hey, those books are really helpful. You know, I landed a multi-million dollar deal. So thank you for your help. <laughs> you know, whatever, yes, yes. whatever it leads to, uh, you know, I've, I've learned, you know, as much as I, you know, need enough cash flow to keep my, my doors open, uh, the biggest priority is still helping people. So, um, whether you say, Hey, you know, I didn't hire him, but he was still very generous. I hope people still say that, Hey, you know what, tell me, but tell me why you didn't hire me. Tell me why you picked someone over me. So I know how to improve my services. So yeah, adaptingleaders.com and yeah, uh, just find me there. Yes, yes. I love that. Everybody check that out. Jerry stealing one more thing from your website is the uh, what could J Foo do for you? I love <laughs> yeah. that. I, I, or is, is it Foo or is it Fu? How, how do I feel? No, you got Foo, it right. Yep, okay. What could yeah. I, I really like it actually made me giggle uh, when I yeah. when I glanced at that and saw that. Um, yeah. So definitely check out reading through everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, and I also will um, include uh, I, I'm sure, certain I'll, I'll remember. Right. Um, I, I will also include that in the description. So we'll have a, a a clickable link down there as well with with all Jerry's info. Um, okay, so our our last question. I like to send it off. Um, sometimes I mix it up, but I've been kind of floating with this one for quite a Go while. Yeah. Um, Jerry, what does the world need more of right now? <laughs> I can I can just feel the bait just being like say say love say love. Um, I think the world needs more humility. I was, I'll be happy to pull back the curtain and say, I think the world needs more curiosity. It's like, no, I think the world needs more humility. You could say empathy, but of all the good answers, I think the best one is humility because humility leads to curiosity. When you know, hey, I don't know everything. I don't know what I don't know. Let me go, but I want to find out. And, you know, when humility and of how I approach relationships or leadership, I think uh, humility is, uh, what the world needs more of right so this way we're not grandstanding we're not you know we're not puffing up our chest we're not trying to say how great we are we're saying how can i make the people around me great and i think again it just comes back to good leadership how do i make the people around me great mm. man i love that so much that's so perfect that, that's so great. Okay, Jerry, man, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, this was Thanks a great conversation. Me. Thank you for all the book recommendations too. I'm really pumped. I feel like I'm going to go back through and write all of these down and probably add them to my list of, uh, of, of, of eventual reads for sure. And then also, uh, thank you as a recovering people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always, I'm always working on these things. So it was really cool to, to get to dive into your mind and, uh, and get some firsthand advice from you, man. Really. Thank you so much again. Happy to help Jacob. Please, yeah. please uh, continue the dialogue even after the podcast is over. Yeah, definitely, man. We'll have to stay in touch. Um, so, yeah, listeners, take care of yourself. Love yourself. Drink some water. Stretch. You know the deal. Get present. Stretch your eyes out. Um, stretch your whole body. Breathe from your diaphragm. Get present. Be here. Uh, don't be distracted by your phone. And check out Jerry's website. Jerry, thanks again, man. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll have to send some emails back and forth after this, all right? All right. Thanks, man. Have a great right. day, guys. Yeah, you too. Take care. The Junkyard Love Podcast.
knowledge is power.